Hello and welcome to another episode of Flo's First and Favourite. I'm Blair. And I'm David. And on this week's show, we're very privileged to have Brack. Welcome to uh, Flo's first and favorite. Thanks very much for joining us. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. As good as we can be under the circumstances. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good, thanks. It's just obviously been a difficult year for everyone. Um, and in particular, the creative arts have taken a massive hit uh, this year, sadly. Uh, but we're hoping for positive vibes in, in 2021, which is just around the corner. Got to be, really. Got to. I mean... Got to be better than 2020, that's for sure. <laughs> so with our guest, Brack, we, we try and take it back to the beginning. Um, what, what was it like growing up for you? Uh, grew up on the south side of Glasgow. Uh, so Glasgow born and bred. Pretty normal upbringing, just as you would. Nothing ups and downs as everyone has in life, but pretty normal, pretty standard. Uh, my Mum and dad were musicians, though, so there was a lot of music in the house, which uh, which kind of got me interested in music. Obviously, they were they were classically trained musicians, which which they pushed towards me, you know. But it never it never really resonated with me, so to speak, you know. <laughs> um, having said that, you know, some with production now having a, a bit of a musical theory under your belt, it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's as you know from the software and stuff we I mean musical ability is by the by so to speak you know with electronic music but it is it is nice to to have it have it um what's the word I'm looking for just have it have it in your locker so to speak you know if you <laughs> if you if if you need to go to the keys or something you want to like write your own baseline you know that's it's nice to have that um, you can definitely hear that classical influence coming through in your productions, Brack. Definitely, it's it's very melodic and kind of lots of um, nice chord progressions and stuff like that. I appreciate that. That's nice of you to say. It's obviously um, it's it's holding back for me. That's the problem, you know. In our game, a lot of the time is less is more. You know, you don't want to get carried away with the melodies and stuff. You know. Um, so that's that's well. I've tried to kind of tighten it in and rein it in a bit, and just um, and my stuff is kind of more sampled based now. Well, the stuff that I have most of the success with anyway. So I like to do stuff all from MIDI from time to time, but I find that as as I guess a lot of people are finding now, the the traction all comes from sampled stuff it gives it, it gives tracks real energy you know which i don't think you can get unless you've got live musicians involved which which were involved in the 70s and stuff from all these these old samples that we use you know yeah and i mean if you're gonna do live musicianing stuff you need a stupidly big budget and let's be honest 
uh, until you reach a certain level, i.e. like the shapeshifters are right now who are about to do a disco album, which seems to be full instrumentation. Yeah, just watch that actually, yeah. It, it looks insane. It looks so good. So how did you first get into sort of dance music as a thing? Obviously, if your parents coming from a classic style, uh, classic musicianship, sorry, um, to you moving into electronic music, where did that come from? It was um, definitely just seeing a DJ setup. You know, my cousin had one. He had, and, and back in the time, it would be two belt drive decks and a two-channel mixer, you know, <laughs> uh, vinyl. Yeah. Um, and so he had one and then a friend of mine had a slightly better one he'd moved on to direct drive turntables and just as, as soon as I touched them I know it sounds cliche but as soon as I touched them I was like I was hooked you know I was like this is good yeah. this is something I could enjoy you know yeah <laughs> and what sort of music were you into back then was it sort of similar to what you were doing just now or no not at all um, it was it was as you would expect, it was more dance stuff, you know. As a younger guy, um, it was dance, your trance, all your balearic stuff as well, you know, all the, the stuff that was big at the, big at the time. Aye. But I've always, um, after that, as, as I got a bit older, the, the funk, soul, disco stuff was really always front and centre with me, you know. All, all those kind of 70s and 80s artists, really resonated with me and i loved that sound so then what was your first like clubbing experience did you did you have did you go to clubs before you were into djing or were you into djing as being part of your mates first well i was i was into djing from a very early age because i was at school we had we had turntables and stuff you know and a lot of my friends and we'd, we'd get a mix as <laughs> you would say we'll, we'll get a mix but um you know the first clubbing experience I can remember that would have been the Archies, you know, the, the famous Glasgow Archies, that was my first, the, the one you, you bought a ticket for, you know, and looked forward to, went down. Yeah. I think, thinking back, it was probably a head candy night, so it was, as a young guy, <laughs> 18, all the, the glitz and glamour that came with head candy, you know, it was an, an absolute eye-opener eye to the scene, yeah. but what a night, you know, just unbelievable r.i.p arches yeah i think i, I think clubbing arches. on that scale in glasgow is I, I don't want to say a thing of the past you've still got venues like swg3 and stuff doing their best to keep that alive but i just think in the terms of of filling nightclubs and particularly underground nightclubs it's it's becoming more and more difficult um so i think maybe the like you're saying the scale of the arches you know it was just that was that was the first thing that always hit you when you you walked into the Archies, was the, yeah. the scale of the place, this cavernous venue, you know, and it was like when it was, when you walked in and if it was quiet, you there at the start of the night, there was, the sound was terrible because there, weren't, there wasn't enough bodies in to, to, to fill the space and as the, as the place filled up, you know, it just, just closed in on you. It, I, a real, real amazing experience and like you say, it's really sad that it's gone. I think we've, we've, played it i i played i dj'd once at an octopusy night just literally i was one of the guys on the end of the phone when somebody phoned in sick for a dj shift that was me i played in other clubs for the same guys and we once played an actual gig like as a when we were doing our live duo stuff under us under a different name um in there and 
even playing in what is not the main arch, like off the side, um, it's it's such a it's you just you just feel a presence there. I, I don't know what I don't know how to describe it, but when I think about even going to gigs there and like seeing too many DJs or going to death disco nights and all the rest of that, I love I like I just as you say SWG three still doing that, but. It just for me it doesn't I, I don't think it hits the same so yeah it's it's um that must have been as a first foray into clubbing going to the arches i mean where does it go from there i mean it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't go anywhere does it i mean it was, i would have been in some backstreet boozers before then you know <laughs> as as a guy not old enough to go to nightclubs but, yeah, but that yeah. was the first one that, that <laughs> that's memorable so you know so then did you start djing not long after that well i, I was i was djing before i was 18 because I, I luckily got a gig in another now gone club uh, by the wayside archaeos in glasgow so they had a famous under 18s um, and i was lucky enough to play in there um probably 16 17 so well, it wasn't old enough to, to go to play in the, the over-18s, you know. <laughs> and so you, if you came back later on at night, the, the bouncers wouldn't let you in because <laughs> they, <knew, laughs> they, they knew you played the unders, you know. Put on a, put on a fake moustache and a change your jacket or something. <laughs> Definitely. And, I mean, there was I've tried everything, but it just you just need to wait till you're 18, you know. So do you, do you class that as your first gig? Yeah, definitely. That that was my first professional gig was Archaeos Unders, um, worlds away from from what I produce now, you know. But but still, a, what a, what a great experience and it's a, a great introduction to DJing, you know. So when when did you then make the move into producing? Um, a bit later, to be honest. I've DJed for. For, for a long time before producing um, just lucky enough to make a living through DJing as well you know but uh, the, the production seemed to be a kind of a natural progression you know some people will go into broadcast but for me something that, that, that never appealed to me at all um, so the production seemed to be the road to go down and I think you know, if you if you can make tunes and have any kind of success from them, it can it it can just uh, extend the lifetime, the lifespan of a DJ. You know, I think as a DJ, I mean, I'm not putting a, a time on it, but as a resident DJ, you know, you you're probably not going to want to do that forever. But if you can start making music and getting bookings, like you were saying, under your name, if you get booked under flows, it's you go and you play what you want to play. And that's you know, you're not playing to a brief. You're not handpicked at all. It's it's something you can do for a lot longer, in yeah. my opinion. You know, and and your production rate is incredible, Brack. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in the last six months, do you know that you've released on thirteen record labels, and um, that's that's working out at an average of two to three re- releases a month, which is just absolutely astounding work. <laughs> I did not know that, and I guess uh, <laughs> you've got the pandemic to thank for that. Every cloud is a silver lining. I've had loads of time, loads of time, with, loads of time with my little boy, and loads of time in my studio. So that's that's the positives I can take away from we, it. You know? We were talking about it. I'm almost embarrassed looking at your release schedule the last year. It is 
Hey, I was just looking, you know, that way. So for, for doing some research for gen like producers we have on this podcast, I always go have a dig in their back catalog, see what's where, have a listen to some of the first release stuff, have some of listen to the stuff that's now. But I was like scrolling down the 100 view on Beatport and I was like, I don't think I've left 2020 yet. Jesus. <laughs> So you've had a you've had a productive year to say the least. Definitely, I kind of felt I kind of felt I was going to make use of this time, you know. And I think you say like, oh, you've released thirteen or whatever you said, and, and I mean they they are of varying quality. So my plan moving forward for twenty twenty one is to is, is to tighten the belt, you know. I'm just going to sit on things a bit longer and and make sure they make sure they're solid, and I'm completely happy with them, and maybe work with with two or three labels more moving forward. You know, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think I, I kind of wanted to spread the net far and wide this year and and see and see where I, I got any traction kind of thing, you know. Well, massive hats off to you anyway, because anyone that can come up with that, those sort of um, very innovative ideas and stuff like that and really interesting sounds um, to, to that degree over six months alone... Uh, hats off to you, man. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. I really appreciate that. As you well know, it's a labour of love. <laughs> to quote you and cry. <laughs> but, like, you, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you say to, to vary in quality, but, I mean, that's being harsh on yourself, if I'm honest, like from an outside point of view, because you go through the, through it all and it wouldn't get released if, if labels didn't back it. So you've obviously got a solid production rate at a solid level. Um, so I am, I'm really looking forward to then if you're saying that you're going to hone in a bit even more, what I'm interested to hear what that then sounds like, because the stuff now is brilliant. So congrats. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. I think that what I mean by that, I think I think it's more to do with with mixing now and stuff like that, and the 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 overall the, the finished product, you know. Rather, I think as as you say, the the ideas are, are there, the the kind of the backbone is solid, the the arrangement and stuff like that. So I think I'm really going to focus on not letting stuff go until I'm properly happy with it. Having said that, it's so hard to let things go. Sometimes, anyway, you know, you could if you sit on a track. I find you can go back to the session ten times, you know, and then you can even get almost give up on it. And then eventually, you go back to you have another idea. That's it, got it, nailed it, and then maybe try and get it signed from there. So I don't know, but like I say, maybe just take a step back and work with a few fewer labels, you know, and try and try and get something going in that direction you know yeah well i i also think as well with production often and all like the like the original energy and vibe that you were going with the tune can sometimes be the best you know and if you revisit it too many times you can you know lose a bit of traction on that so i think i think um you know it's it's just about making that balance and stuff but no we we've been massive fans of you i really appreciate that guys cuz cuz i like what you guys do as well it's brilliant the the, the kings of the arpeggiator <laughs> <laughs> i love the I, I love that it's it's something i tried a lot um, when i first started out you know the these the silent and stuff like that these arpeggiators but it's it's really hard to to make them work and i think you do it very well oh thanks really appreciate that Look at this lovely love-in we're having. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you remember what your first release was, according to Beatport? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't. It's a track called On and On. Right. Uh, it came out on Dash Deep Records in twenty in February 2013. Right, okay. So we've come a long way since then. And I think it would upset me if I listened to that now, so I probably won't. I was going to say, that's seven years. You know, I think that a lot of artists somewhere down the line actually change their name <laughs> and start fresh because they've, they've come such a long way since their first release. But it's almost nice to able to see the journey as well you know do you find it being a dj brack as well um and being a producer is that a good opportunity for you to try and test out your um you know your new productions and just see how the crowd reacts and stuff like that and make adjustments that way yeah definitely for me it's more it's not really about crowd reaction you know i think i think um i tend i tend not to play my own stuff in sets um unless I know I'm definitely going to get away with it, <laughs> but um, I think it's more about I'm str- I'm struggling at the moment because I, I religiously took tracks into clubs to test the mix on them, to test the bottom end. You know, there's only so much you can do in a in a home studio without big subs and all that. You know, and, and sometimes you take it and when you play it out, it's not the same record. Mm. You know, other sometimes there's no bottom end, sometimes it's out of control and you need to <laughs> rein it in. So I'm I'm kinda struggling not being able to road test my stuff in that manner. But it definitely helps having I mean a lot of guys don't have that opportunity. A lot of guys are producers first, then DJs, you know? Yeah. No it's it's interesting because we to be honest, we're not really being the fact that we're remote we don't we're not really in a position where we're out road testing tracks and you're right in saying i I know that from doing previous productions when i was djing more and that (laughs) when you put on a tune and you let the you let the low end go on the mixer and all of a sudden you're like whoa whoa (laughs) i could just taper it right back down again you know they always say guy Um, guys say it's it's your your monitors test then the motor test your car, <laughs> and then and then it's it's into the club with it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But having said that, the world we live in now, how many people are listening to tracks on small headphones and yeah. and Bluetooth speakers and and even phone speakers, you know? So yeah. I think I, I make record I make records for for nightclubs, you know. I want I want DJs to play my records. That's that's what I want to happen. Not saying that does happen, but that's why that's the kind of stuff I try to make. So I try to make sure it's it's mixed that with that in mind, you know. Whereas I suppose nowadays some people are mixing for for Spotify, you know, or whatever. It's just uh, just to follow up on that point. It's um, it's interesting because I know some people now who listen to their mixes purely on their phone just to see if the high end's out of control on a tiny little phone mono speaker, um, as well as, as another reference point. So it's it's interesting that, but I it's it's great to hear that you you have the mindset of this is for the club, so I'm gonna mix it for the club. What would you say, uh, Brad, your favorite uh, release that you've come out with? in the last couple of years is? Uh, I don't actually know, it's hard. Um, I kind of focus on the one that I'm doing at the time and then it's, it's almost on to the next one with me, you know. Um, 
I think it's like you said, <laughs> I've just I've done so many this year. Um, I've got one coming out um, quite soon uh, on Tall House Digital, which I'm I'm quite happy with. You know what? You say that I'm always happy at the time, um, at the time of release, but this one I'm particularly happy with. So it's it's releasing in December, not too long. I thought it was going to be early next year, but it's going to be December. So I'm pretty pleased with it, and I hope it does well or does something anyway. You know, yeah, a lot of stuff can just be can just disappear if there's if there's no kind of a. The, the stores don't support, you know. It's a shame. It's a shame because some of some of what I would class as my better work is 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 not got any traction, you know. But I guess we just we just keep going, you know. Just keep pushing on, and then hopefully you can always revisit things. I think, which is a nice revisit ideas and even samples somewhere down the line, you know. Well, we what we've also said to a few of our guests is because this year's been kind of very very strange in terms of the covid side of things um and, and no clubs being open the the club clubbing scene should the clubs open next summer um you, you know in ibiza and stuff like that Art, djs and artists are going to have effectively like two years worth of um productions uh, to basically pick from so there'll be loads of little gems in there that haven't got the light of day sadly um, just because the clubs aren't open, but then they're going to get almost like a second year's worth of um, playouts and stuff. Definitely, definitely, and that, that that can only be a good thing. I think some of the live streams from the bigger artists have really helped smaller artists along because yeah. they, I think that that's again a kind of silver lining. The 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 play of your record has been there in black and white. You know, I've seen some guys that that um, I'm talking to and I work with sometimes uh, on labels or whatever and then suddenly Low Steppers played the record a guy that uh, a guy Marshall that um, he's, he's always supports my stuff big up Marshall um, he Carol Cox played a couple of his records wow. you know and it's and it's bang black and white it's written down it's recorded in history whereas I mean if a DJ plays out your record in space, Ibiza, and it's not being recorded, whatever, you know, it's gone, it's it's a great thing, but you, you might never know, yeah. you know. So I think the, the live streams have really helped people, and it's nice that the, the people have found a way to still DJ and get out there and play music, really, you know. I guess it's still giving that sort of same energy that you can get in a club, but... Um you know, you you know, in the emotion of it, because a lot of people I've seen on these live streams, you know, where they kind of switch to different living rooms and stuff like that. It's just really refreshing and nice to see people having a nice time during a very difficult period. It is. I found it deeply uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie to you. I did one with a friend, um, and and it. It was great fun. It was great fun. The, the more the more drunk he got, at one point the dog escaped, and he was out on the he was out in the street chasing a dog. His kids were sleeping. Um, I brought the KRKs. You know, it was it, it got a bit silly, but I, I did. I find it so uncomfortable. Just no crowd, just standing there, knowing that you're on camera and watching some of the guys doing it. You know, they're over the top, waving their arms and all that. David Guetta on top of a building, giving it all that. <laughs> I didn't quite get there. I know. 
I know, I know. I didn't quite get there. I'm not going to lie. I didn't quite get hands in the air. But we, as time went on, we did enjoy it, and it was good. It was good to do. Yeah, I think I think a few we didn't haven't done any, but I, I, quite a lot of the people we've spoken to have all said that it's difficult because you wanted to you wanted to be high energy and you wanted to be like almost a club experience for people, but at the same time, it is just you either in your living room or whatever, and you just. It, you're aware it's just you and a camera kind of thing so that's it just doesn't the same and it's never going it's it's never going to be you know it, it, you you take energy from the crowd and you you hopefully give it back you know i think that's that that's pretty much what djing's about you know if you if you're having a good night the crowds are having a good night then you, you that energy you can't you can't describe it you know it's just it's, it's why we do it i suppose so speaking on that what would you say your favourite gig was? Um, I don't know. I've never. The, the thing is, I've always been quite henpecked with with gigs, you know, as a as a working resident, you know. So hopefully, my my favourite gig is still to come, you know. <laughs> but I don't know. Nice. You know <laughs> that, that's what I'm think, That's what I'm hoping because I'm hoping down the line. I get I get to play what I want and sh- and showcase what I want yeah. to do, and I'm not saying I've never had the opportunity to do that. I have done in the past, but it's I don't know. It's just some of the uh, I'm trying to think. I think where would have been. Uh, it's it's a hard one to put your finger on, you know. Mm. But like I say, just any gig that the, the, you're not you're not playing to a brief, and you you know you don't have to think about the fact that you might lose a crowd, you know, the, if, if people are there to see you and and they like what you do, then I think they, these are the gigs that really count. You know, it doesn't matter how many people are there, how big or small the venue is. If, if, if you're doing what you love to do, and usually that means playing the music that you make and you enjoy yourself, then these are the best gigs for me anyway. As an amazing answer. I honestly I don't know what else I can say to that because I completely agree with everything you've just said. Yeah, it's just it's just one of the 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 things, you know, it, uh, I appreciate these gigs so much more having been a, a resident DJ for so many years and you know I I still I really appreciate it and it's it's so good, you know, it's almost like it's not a real job, you know. I'm not digging the roads. I'm not not busting my ass you know working but it's you know yeah it is still that's why i appreciate it so much more when when i'm left to do what i want you know as a dj rather than saying right no i'll never be as i guess you won't either i'll never be told what to do but you know it's like it's like when you when you there is a brief and it's like if you don't do this they will go away (laughs) so you need to tone the line a little bit you know what would you What would you say your first uh, record that you bought was? Can you remember back? Oh, well, we're going way back. But um, as a young guy, I think when you're when you're buying vinyl and you're shopping for vinyl as a young guy, it's when you don't have a great knowledge of music when you're starting out. It's more about labels. So I was always when I if I would go into HMV or Tower Records, I don't know, even the Independence in Glasgow, like 23rd Precinct, I'd always be attracted to the the Black Cross yeah. of the Positiva, <laughs> the Positiva rack, you know, and I think I, I think maybe it would be uh, one one that I remember, Marky Claude La was, uh, I think the French artist, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely French artist, um, 
I can't even remember the track, but I remember the sleeve, you know. So I think that was probably my first, my first one that I went out myself and went into a record shop and bought a bit of vinyl. What I, I really miss that. I miss record shopping, you know. You can't, you don't get to do it so much anymore. Do you still have your collection? Yeah, I've still, I've still got, I've still got a pretty decent collection of vinyl. I've, I've. I've lost some over the years, you know, and house moves, etc. It sounds, it sounds silly, but I definitely have. But the ones that I've looked after really well, I've still got a pretty decent, decent collection of house music, and I've got crates of forty fives from the seventies and eighties that I dig for samples all the time. We've got these amazing instrumental intros that you just you don't get on the the digital releases now you know so where do you source them from um, online that's what i was going to say i mean it's 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 a sad thing that re- going out and digging for records isn't something i do much anymore but doesn't have the same yeah. the same feeling when they come through the door although they don't come through the door <laughs> the, i know the postman very well <laughs> because yeah. a record doesn't fit through that letterbox <laughs> <laughs> I find though that like looking for like older records, charity shops are just an absolute goldmine at times. Like you go in there and you might just, as you said, get that sort of extended version that's got like a massive instrumental or or, or an a cappella at the beginning that you can use in your production. Yeah, I do that a lot as well. If I'm if I see them, I don't I tend to I don't have any particular one I go to, but if we see them in the window or something, I will go and have a quick look. It's really it's a good untapped source for old records if they're in good if they're in half decent condition that's half the battle you know so do you have a favorite from your collection it's really hard um yeah it's hard to it's hard to put my finger on something because like i said i've got all these 45s and i'm i'm a massive chic fan i love niall rogers bernard edwards chic's just i've i saw i was lucky enough to see them when they were at the the academy and i saw them again at the Hydro, um, and I'd, I'd saw them years ago, actually, a Rock yeah. Ness thing. I don't know if you remember yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock Ness, um, but it was it was, it was was before the kind of resurgence of disco. It's kind of made a comeback now, but um, I, I remember it was during the day, and I think The View were playing, or one of these indie bands at the time that were, that were huge. They were playing the, like a tent, and Niall Rogers and Sheik were on the main stage and there was nobody there. Like, I'm talking maybe, I'm not even joking, 100, 200 people. So just, I just stood on my own, <laughs> watched them there. Um, the full set, I'm absolutely, uh, just, if you've never seen them, I would definitely recommend it. They're just, the energy that they produce is just, there's nothing else like it. So anyway, sorry, I've, I've got off track. So, like I was saying, I've got all those forty fives. That, that so it's really hard to put. But my favourite record. I was thinking about this actually, and I think I'd have to go with with, with Alan Brack's intro, um, because it's it's a time. It was released at a time when, obviously, like I say, I was a fan of funk, soul, and disco. But it's a time. It was the kind of time when I properly fell in love with house music, you know, and it was that that big funky house moment that just every bar you walked into was was playing like funky house and they they were starting like all the disco samples you know what we know like probably glitter box and stuff like that now you know so that's my sorry that's a 
a, a big a big stupid answer, but I think yeah, Alan Bragg's intro is a a, a timeless record, and it's it's since been sampled again a few times. I've noticed. What's the first track you'd go to, like to f- that you would want to play? So not under any residency restrictions, but you think we just get everyone going nuts, like absolutely. Oh, I don't know. That's too tough. That's too tough. Next, <laughs> <laughs> next. Uh, I think all nights are different. I think you'd agree. All, all yeah. nights are different. You kind of, you kind of have that instinct as a DJ when you you need to shift up a gear, and it'd probably just be, just there's always something in your, in your bag. That you know is going to take the riff off it, and you're you're excited to play it. You know you get you're like, oh my god, this one's gonna this is going to destroy the place. And I think that's a nice time yeah. to do it when you're just coming off the back of a warm up. Uh, you maybe take it, you just take it from maybe I don't know. It's, it's a, just a little genre change, isn't it? Almost going from yeah, just going up to something a bit more techy that just that just takes stuff, just takes it into second gear. So sorry, I've not answered that again, but it's too hard. <laughs> it's too hard <laughs> to, to single out, single out a record. Had, uh, we've had other DJs do exactly the same thing. And uh, Anna, Anagram, who I don't know if you know is one half of Laser Quest, uh, basically had a bit of a meltdown. Uh, <laughs> when she was, she was just watching there, just go. I can't. I don't. I like. I can't. I, I don't even. There's too many. So we agreed that she would send us a list of fifty. Uh, so we're looking forward to seeing that list of fifty. Um, but then <laughs> that's a, that's that can be the backbone yeah, of exactly. your next set. <laughs> just doing just doing doing the work for the next. Game. <laughs> and do you find when you when you're sort of DJing and there's less parameters in place uh, in terms of residency as well? Do you find that you kind of maybe come down a bit earlier and just check out the artist before and just see how the, the crowd are reacting to the music they're playing as well? Yeah, definitely. I like to do my homework. I don't, uh, and I also don't like to step on somebody's toes. You know, if you're if you're on before somebody, it's a bit of a schoolboy error that we've all seen it done, and you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy that that that, that takes it too yeah. heavy before. Before the, the main man on the bill, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's no, definitely worth doing your homework when you're when you're playing these kind of gigs. Um, no, it's nice just to it's nice, we took that for granted again, but it's nice just to go out sometimes and just get about and see what see what people are playing and see what's what's going down well and. Just what the the general vibe is in places, you know. But uh, like I say, we took we took all that for granted. It seems seems a long time ago since I did any of that at all. So, so do you have any favourites for like closing up? Uh, well, uh, one of my go tos for, and I don't think it really matters what you've been playing. It's just so much fun. But Dan Hartman relight my fire because <laughs> uh, you know even. Even even yes. the people, even yeah. the kids that don't know who Dan Harmon is know what Relight My Fire is. Sure. You know, but what a record! If you if you listen to it, it's just that it's it's watching. And then also, if you're if you're dealing with maybe uh, a more out and out house crowd, something like I used to finish a lot on Lovebirds, Want You in My Soul, or something. 
yeah. that level yeah. of classic, you know. CC Rogers someday or something like just, that. I'm just yeah, yeah, I like to do something like that. Just to it, it lets people know that you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we can we can't go no further. Yeah. It's like that 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 is the taps off station. Is literally if you're just playing those kind of tunes at the end of the night, just being like, "That's me." You know that. I know that. Let's let's call it what it is. Yeah, and you can tell how many you're going to do. You know, when it gets to to the kind of the the last half hour of your set, you know what crowd you're dealing with. Am I going to do quite a few of these, or maybe just keep this vibe going and then give them one at the end? It's always nice. I think when you're at a gig as well, and it's there's, there's maybe not been a vocal for an hour. It's always nice when there's a, an uplifter at the end, you know. What advice would you say that you would give to some someone young and fresh and starting out in either DJing or production? I'd tell them definitely go to school and university and definitely don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding on. That's, that's not what I would say at all. Um, I, think, I, think, I think number one is... Is, is you've just got to be there, you know. When I was starting to, to try and get DJ gigs, the main thing was you were just there. I think a lot of that, when it comes down to, you know, you've got you've got to be able to DJ, obviously. You've got to have the, the, the technical ability, which I don't want to sound like an old man, but it's not as hard as it used to be, you know. If, if we, when you're talking about, we're talking about two turntables and a mixer, to where we've come and don't get me wrong I take full advantage of all the the new gadgets and the tech stuff that's that's come along over the years because if you don't you'll just get left behind you know so I'm not one of those vinyl purists that's uh, you know but but it's definitely so that's leveled the playing field a bit so there's different things at play now from when I started I think you've you've got to be there as I say and be seen and be be about and get get like you were saying, get out there and get to know what people are playing and what the what the vibe is. Um, from a production point of view, if people are starting to produce, I think just it's just ourselves. You know, like you were saying, if twenty thirteen was it, I first released something and I'd been I'd been producing long before that. And every time, I feel like every time I make a record, still it's it, there's still something new there. You know, there's I'm learning something new, and there's some there's, there's a new element that comes together. You you have times. There's always times along the journey where something just clicks, and that's that part of your game sorted. And then the next thing will click into place. There, there's so many good courses and online courses and all these kind of things now that you can do to get ahead. But I think definitely time served. Just stick at it, and get a, you've got to have a thick skin as well because rejection is on its way. You put out, you put out so many. Uh, you know, somebody told me once, just just send, 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 send your stuff out. You've got to do it because if they don't have it, they can't sign it. But you know, you, you talk you, a lot of stuff gets listened to and they don't get back to you. A lot of stuff they'll never listen to it. Um, a lot of stuff you get the standard email thank, thanks nice track but it's not for us so this happens to everyone you know and I think we're seeing more and more even bigger artists are, are starting their own labels because it's such a headache you know trying to get 
trying to consistently get stuff. And I mean, particularly taking the the step on to the next level of labels, where ideally we all want to be. But that's like I say, just just keep pushing on and trying and just keep making music. That's all I can. That's all I can say, really. And there are um, some great independent labels out there as well, just to kind of get your music heard and, and out there, uh, like Lyceum Social Club, you know, and these these labels um, will be able to kind of maybe advise you as well and what you can maybe do different moving forward. Talking about Lyceum, that's, that's the kind of... Yeah, I, I look to that as well. I look to who's at the helm, who's running the label. So when you're talking about Lyceum, you're talking about Elias and, and Rob Etherson, Elias Brown. So, I mean, you're talking about two heavyweights. These guys, you don't, I mean, particularly in Glasgow, you're not, I don't think there's anyone doing anything better than them. So the fact that if, if they're saying, you you know, your music's good enough, it's of a standard and we'd be happy to sign it, it's a real, it's a real confidence booster. So, I like rather than looking at stuff like what their reach is and how many followers they've got and all that superficial crap. Sorry to call it that, but who's who's at the helm? Who's the guy? Who's the who's the A and R guy? Who's the guy that's listening to that and has decided that that, that there's something there worth worth uh, worth releasing? You know, and like you say, it might be a small independent. They might not have the a huge amount of followers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but uh, I like to look at. Who's who is that's listening to your records, kind of thing? I think as well, like when you get yourself onto more independent labels and you yourself respect, as you say, the people that are leading it or other people who've released on it, to add your name to that as a collective is like you've got to view that as a big win. Like you absolutely have to and and celebrate that success. Like, okay, yes keep moving because you don't want to hang on like i've had one tune released and look at me i'm this is me i could do it forever that's not how that works unfortunately um so the fact that you can see the stuff and you respect it and i think that it should come across as well in what you're what you're making and who you're pitching to It, it there is definitely a big part of um listening to what the label put out and feeling like you would fit into that um, as well, do you do you agree? Yeah, I agree entirely. And it's one of the things I've struggled with the most. Is, is kind of I could have I could have five or six records ready to go, and deciding what to shop to who, so to speak. Yeah. That that's always been a, a a tough thing for me to decide because I, I think I don't know. It's subjective, isn't it? Sometimes you listen to a track, like I might listen to a track and say. Well, that that's quite that's quite a heavy a heavy tech house track. Is somebody, you know, a guy that likes techno is, says, no, it's a bit it's a bit softer, you know, it's a bit it's kind of it's it's you know you know I'm that I'm getting at, you know, it's a kind of um, um it's it's hard to put your finger on genres and stuff like that. The stuff that you make's really good, and I think I think speaking to you tonight I've realised you're talking about like justice and stuff like that and that sounds completely gone but thinking now you can hear those those electro sounds and what you're producing you know and you're managing to fit them into a, to a modern house sound which is really good hats off oh thanks we, we do we do always we've got some quite broad uh, 
music taste i guess <laughs> across the two of us and uh we'll we can send you some stuff from our last outfit that would shock you uh <laughs> as to what it sounds like i mean there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff out there that that i'm not proud of but as i was saying you know i think you can see an improvement you can see a journey from yeah from a guy that's that's just starting to to learn the game to to where we are where we're sitting today and a lot of people say that's that's suicide almost, you know. But I don't really think it is. How, who's yeah. delving into your back catalogue, you know, really? It's all about, I very much think it's all about the moment. If you have if you have a track and it's a heavy hitter and it does the damage, that that will be the one that, that you'll be remembered for. It won't be, yeah. unless you, you're going to maybe get some horrible people that are going to dig back through your back catalogue and, find some substandard releases but I really wouldn't be too worried about that to be honest I think I think the main thing is you enjoy it and you put out what you're making if you're happy with it um, then try and get it out there you know yeah I mean we got we got a really lovely piece of advice from uh, an A&R uh, from a record label just sort of saying actually it's quite refreshing still seeing an artist um, so they might become established in the future but then they've actually still got all their like original productions that got released and it shows a bit of a journey for the listener um you know how far they've come as well so so i think that's a real positive no, definitely i think so because I, I think like i say i think a lot of the time people just change their artist's name it's quite an easy thing to do now you're probably going to have to build your your socials etc from the ground up again but then if you've got if you've got a heavyweight label behind you, uh, by that time, that could really fast-track you. So I think that's a thing that's definitely being done as well, more and more often. So it's not something I would worry about too much. And the other thing with having a back catalogue that people can see the journey of, nobody can cast aspersions over where did this person come from or where did this duo or who this act come from. Obviously, if this is them brand new, someone else is doing it for them. Do you know what I mean? And if you can say consistently over the years, this is me, like this is what I've been doing. You can see that. You can see the the, the journey up to it. Nobody's going to turn around and go, well, he's not done his time. He's clearly paid someone money to make a tune for him kind of thing, you know? Yeah, there is. I know because there's a certain amount of suspicion when when somebody's game changes overnight. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're popping yeah. bottles in a private jet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. In any walk of life, you've got to question that. So we always end on, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything coming up that you want to talk about? Uh, just my new one that's, that's coming up next month on Tall House Digital. Uh, again, this is, this is about, for me, this label's about the, the guys running it. There's a guy... Uh, Paul Parsons, uh, you'll probably have seen his name on Beatport and Track Source, but he's just consistently putting out music. I mean, we're talking one a week, and every one of them is, from a DJ's point wow. of view, is is something you, that you would play, you know? It's, so he's consistently, and, and the other guy, Tim, uh, working under Bronx Cheer, really good producer, really like what he's putting out. So for me to get to get them to sign something was was a, another kind of milestone for me, you know. So it's 
I'll just check. It's uh, available for pre-order now, but it's uh, it'll be out on the 11th of December, and it's called "Do You Want to Come Party?" So we'll not be going partying, but <laughs> we'll not be going. To, there'll not be any partying happening for a while. But hopefully, Do you want to come and party in 2021 yeah, with a question mark. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. Do you want to come party in the not too distant future? With a bit of luck. That's the brackets <laughs> extended title. Uh, definitely. <laughs> I, li- I like that idea. Um, we'll go grab a beer when this is over. Definitely, we'll need to do that. It'll be. I think. I think for everyone, you know, that's one thing that's come from this pandemic. We, you, it's like that thing when we all need to see each other more. You know, it's you take it for granted when you're when you're working hard and life gets the better of you. But I think that's what I'll take away from. 2020 as we need to get out there more and see people meet up you know definitely well on that note i think we'll wrap it up there thank you so much brack for being on flow's first and favorite um it's been a pleasure no thanks for having me really nice to meet you guys great to talk to you for tuning into this week's episode of Flow's First and Favourite. Please follow us for any updates at We Are Flows on Instagram and Twitter. You'll get news about upcoming episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye.